Once upon a time, 2,500 years ago, in the time of the Buddha, when the Buddha was alive, there lived a man named Angulimala. And take special note of the ghoul in the middle, Angulimala. I'll tell you why in a moment. It's spelled G-U, but I'm saying it is G-H-O-U-L. This was a person, a man who went around terrorizing villages. And he had this kind of um, habit of whenever he killed someone, of adding them to his thumb necklace. He had a necklace of thumbs, and he would cut off a thumb and make a necklace out of it. And he had this um, idea that he wanted to get up to 100 thumbs. And I don't know actually what his idea was after that, but he had this, um, (laughs) he wanted to attain a necklace of 100 thumbs. So he was up to 99. He had 99 thumbs on his necklace. And he was in a particular village in which the Buddha was visiting, fortunately for everyone. He was in this particular village. And he was out somewhere in the forest when the Buddha came to town. The Buddha came into town to beg. He had his begging bowl, came into town. And someone beckoned him in. The streets were totally empty. No one was in the streets. There were no children playing, um, no balls bouncing, nothing happening. It was like a ghost town. And someone beckoned him in. Um, The Buddha was quite mystified. And he said, "Um, why is, what's happening? Why is it so empty around here? And this person said, Angulimala is in town. And um, let me just get you some food quickly. And why don't you just stay here until he's gone to another town. And the Buddha said, no, 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 thank you very much. But um, Angulimala, if all these stories are true about him, he's a suffering human being. And so I would like to meet this fellow. So he left this place of refuge, and he walked through the village, everything empty. You could kind of get the, the idea of people kind of peeking out behind their curtains noticing this one figure walking down the street. And he walked down the street with measured, slow, steady steps, just one step at a time, walking meditation, lifting, moving, placing down the street. And he got to the end of town and started to go into the forest, move into the forest. And he heard, just as he went to go into the forest, he heard thud, 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 you know, footsteps coming after him. And turned around, and there it was, Angulimala, with this um, thumb necklace flying from side to side as he started to move after the Buddha, to get the Buddha to add, of course, one more thumb to his attainment of a 100 thumbs on, on his necklace. So the Buddha didn't turn around. He just noticed it was Angulimala, and um, didn't turn around, though, just kept walking. 
And as Angulimala got closer, the Buddha, with his psychic powers, began to move very, very quickly, very, very quickly, so that Angulimala couldn't catch up with him. But it looked to Angulimala that he was still walking in that slow, measured way. And yet, as hard as Angulimala tried, he just couldn't catch up to him. And panting, and you know, this was a very unusual experience in Angulimala's life because the rumors about him were that he could uh, take on 40 different men at one point, and he would be the one who would survive and get 40 thumbs out of the situation. So this was an unusual situation for Angulimala to be faced with someone who was outrunning him by walking. So he just kept um, going, going, panting, panting. And finally, he got very frustrated and, you know, of course, quite out of breath. And he yelled after the Buddha. He yelled, he said, Monk, stop! Stop, monk, stop! And the Buddha turned around, turned around to face him. And he said, I have stopped. Why don't you? And of course, on Angulimala, immediately became enlightened and you know, <laughs> no problems after that for this monk. But what does stopping mean? I have stopped, why don't you? Is it possible right now to stop? Is it possible in this moment to stop? Not half an hour from now, not tomorrow, not next lifetime, but right now, right here and now, is it possible to stop longing, to stop wanting? Is it possible to stop holding on? Is it possible to stop pushing away, to stop judging? Is it possible to stop describing, making up stories, adding to this, subtracting to that, right here, right here and now, which is the only moment in which it is possible, is it possible to stop? Is it possible to stop identifying with this is who I am? I am this, or I am that. I am not this, or I am not that. Is it possible to stop assuming in this moment, is it possible to stop assuming? Is it possible to stop avoiding, hanging on, clinging? To stop being pushed around by thoughts and feelings is possible in this moment. And every time we're awake, aware, every time there is full awareness of a breath, Thinking is not happening in that moment. Every time, in this moment, if there is full awareness of the breathing, thinking isn't happening. If thinking isn't happening, there is an inner stillness. Out of this inner stillness, wise choice is possible. Wise choices are possible. Wise reflection can't emerge out of chaos, out of confusion. Wisdom does arise out of inner stillness. 
So right here and now, not in any other moment but now, is it possible to stop the mind? I'm not so much talking about the big stop, otherwise known as enlightenment. I'm speaking about this moment. I'm speaking about now. Each moment fresh and new and innocent when we stop. And it's not something to attain. It's not something that happens at another time. It's something that can happen, that does happen right now. And when we do stop, as we stop in this moment, life is full. Life is open to us. There is an openness. There is a freshness. There is an innocence. We leave the known and we move into the unknown by stopping. In movement, the same things are happening over and over again. We go over the same thoughts. We go over the same feelings. In stopping, it's possible for something new to emerge, something fresh, something unknown to us, always unknown. You know, I like this story of Angulimala because it's so extreme. You know, thumb necklaces, 100 thumbs on a necklace is really out of our context. And sometimes in practice, one can feel quite hopeless. I can never stay with the breathing. I can never be awake. I can never be aware. Where is this bringing me? I've been practicing for so long, and I feel so much despair. What's happening? And we feel hopeless. Also, sometimes in practice, we have memories about different experiences. And there can be quite a bit of guilt around these experiences. We can hold on to thinking that we should have been different in the past, in other experiences. There could be quite a lot of guilt that we can bring into the moment with us. And so I like this story because no matter how much guilt we have, it can't be that much. <laughs> you know, who of us here has killed 99 people or, or one person? Quite unlikely. The wonderful thing about this story, this real story, is that Angulimala, when the Buddha said, can you stop? I have stopped. Angulimala said, it's too late for me, you know, before the enlightenment part. He said, it's, <laughs> it's too late for me. Uh, I've done too much wrong, and I can't. I absolutely can't change my life at this point. It's impossible to change my life at this point. Too much suffering that I've created for myself and for others. Too much suffering. I can't change. And the Buddha, the Buddha told Angulimala that it's never too late, that it's not possible for it to be too late. 
And I think that if this message was given to something, someone like Angulimala with such a history that perhaps we can hear the same thing, that right here in this moment, it's possible to shift. It's possible to change the whole thing, to get underneath the suffering and to move out of it, and that it's never too late. We know this. Each one of us here already knows this. We wouldn't be here if on some level we didn't know it in the cells, in some part of the body, in some part of the mind. But we forget, too. We forget very easily. We can feel quite hopeless about the past. And yet there's nothing we can do about it. We can't go back and reshape the past. This is a sheer impossibility. We want to, we try, we suffer because we can't. But it's a sheer impossibility to be able to go back into the past, which was just last moment, by the way, and try and change it, and try and shape it differently than the way it was. Some of the Dharma that we're learning is exactly this, that it is impossible. We're working to move into freedom. This is possible. It absolutely is possible to totally transform the heart, to totally transform our lives. It's not possible through trying to change the past. It's not possible to try and shape reshape the past. The secret of happiness is to be entirely present, entirely here with that which is happening, with that which is right in front of us, living fully in the present moment, right now. Past suffering can't harm us if we care for the present. It can't touch us if we care for the present, if we take care of right now. The future will be healed. The future will be quite well on its own if we take care of right now. As Mahagosananda puts it, who is just a lovely Cambodian monk, um, he says that the present is the mother of the future. And the future is her child. So take care of the mother, and the mother will naturally take care of her child. Mm. You know, when we come to Dharma practice, and all along the way, sometimes, It reminds me of taking that oath that is taken in a courtroom or different people take when they raise their hand and say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In Dharma practice, sometimes we don't know it, but what we are promising is to see the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We don't quite realize what we're taking on many times, what that means. Maybe we wouldn't start if we did. But it's an, it's an inner agreement to see the truth. 
Sometimes this is easy, and sometimes it's quite difficult to see that which is really happening. Sometimes it can feel like a bit too much. Sometimes it can feel like one insult after another. It can intensify on retreat. There can be an intensity of feeling on retreat. It's not as if it's happening only because one is on retreat, so it's only happening here. But one can be in touch with a certain intensity of feeling that may not seem to be happening in one's daily life. I have a little bit of wisdom here from someone named Tofu Roshi. (laughs) At a long retreat, you get to know people really well in a certain way. You get to know their physical presence, how they walk and bow, and chew their food if they do chew. Well, here is my problem. When I go to a long retreat, instead of becoming more open and loving as the retreat progresses, I become more and more critical of the sentient beings around me. At our last retreat, there was a man who, after each step in walking meditation, would nod his head with satisfaction, as if he was congratulating himself for being so holy. And there was a woman who, when she pressed her palms together to bow, crooked her little fingers as if she was drinking tea at Windsor Castle. At such times, I am choked by rage. (laughs) I want to break things. I flush with hot anger at every ladylike bow or self-satisfied nod. Did you ever feel this way, Tofu Roshi? In my normal life, I'm a fairly nice person. Signed, Gladys. <laughs> it's true. You know, a cough can drive one wild on retreat, whereas a cough is really just a cough. But it does give us an opportunity to see what's happening. The important part is not identifying with it, creating stories, getting caught in it. It's just noticing feeling as feeling, thoughts as thoughts. We can't help the contents of the mind. You know, just as we can't go back and reshape the past, just as this this is impossible, it's also impossible to say, okay, I'm going to think this. Okay, I'm going to only feel good feelings now. I'm only going to, to think thoughts that are full of care for others. I'm not going to have any angry thoughts. I'm not going to have any selfish thoughts. I'm not going to have any um, deluded thoughts. And we can't say that, obviously. The mind just does what it wants to do. Feelings just are the way they are. And perhaps we suffer quite a bit because we think we should be able to make things not arise, make things not happen, thoughts and feelings. This really and truly is not where our responsibility lies. In the arising, it's conditioning. It's out of our control. It's just karma. It's just conditioning. Where we do have responsibility is in noticing what's happening. This is how we can stop. We can't stop 
the various thoughts and feelings. We can stop in the way that we relate and the way that we react to the thoughts and the feelings. We can feed them, we can nourish them by pushing them away or by holding on to them, by trying to make something out of them, by clinging. Or by identifying with the thoughts and the feelings as I and as mine. We can stop through awareness. We can stop in this moment by being awake to whatever it is that's occurring. Saying, I should not have this thought, is like telling a cloud that it shouldn't be in the sky. Doesn't listen, doesn't go away that way, doesn't work. Mindfulness is a moment of stopping by not nourishing suffering. This is how we stop. Every time, every moment of mindfulness, every moment of attentiveness, every moment of awareness is a moment of freedom. It's a moment of deconditioning the mind, of not feeding suffering. It's a moment of not pushing away. It's a moment of not clinging or holding on. And it's a moment of not identifying with as I or mine. So right here and now, right now, right in this moment, whatever the thoughts, whatever the feelings, whatever is happening, we can be awake. And in this wakefulness, we don't nourish suffering. We nourish freedom. And we are in the process of deconditioning the mind with each moment of mindfulness. It's not something we can do in the future. It's not something we can do half an hour from now. It's not something we can do tomorrow or another time. We can only be mindful right now. It's only possible to be mindful in this moment. And we can. This is possible for each one of us in this room, each one of us outside this room, of course, too. But for everyone in this room, it's possible to stop by being mindful, by nourishing peace, by nourishing happiness, by nourishing the seeds of freedom. And we nourish the seeds of freedom and happiness and peace simply by not nourishing suffering. And we don't nourish suffering by being aware. We nourish peace by being awake. We nourish suffering by pushing away, by holding on, by identifying with. So every moment that we don't do any of those three things, any moment in which there isn't a pushing away or a holding on or an identifying with, which can be right now, knowing what's happening, knowing the feeling, knowing the thought, knowing the breath, knowing the bodily sensation. We're planting seeds of peace for the future. And it, they can't help but grow. It's the way things are. It's the way the Dharma is. It's the way the truth is is that these seeds can't help growing if we nourish peace, if we're awake, if we're aware in this moment. Through the story of Angulimala, perhaps we can see 
that the present doesn't mean to be imprisoned by the past. We don't have to be caught by karma. We don't have to be caught by conditioning. Whatever our past has been, we don't have to be caught by our past. The only thing that matters truly is, is there attentiveness right now? Is there wakefulness? Is there awareness right now? In stopping oneself, in stopping ourselves, we stop others. Just as the Buddha was able to stop Angulimala, was able to turn things around for Angulimala, just in the same way when one person stops, and even just for a moment, if there is that commitment to stop in this moment, in doing so, we also affect one another quite dramatically, quite deeply, we affect one another when we stop. When we stop, we can be of benefit to the world. We can be a benefit to one another. Instead of judging each other, we can respond to one another's Buddha nature. This is what is possible in stopping. As we stop judging ourselves, we also stop judging others. It happens in the same way. One can't help but being of benefit to others, to the world, in this stopping. It's not possible to not be of benefit. And we can trust this. We can trust the way of the Dharma. The Dharma is said to be good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. Just finish with a poem by... Layman Pang. When the mind is at peace, the world too is at peace. Nothing real, nothing absent, not holding on to reality, not getting stuck in the void. You are neither holy nor wise, just an ordinary fellow who has completed his work. I actually didn't mean to say stop, but why don't we sit for a moment? a little bit of a P.S. to the Angulimala story. After he freed himself from suffering, he became a monk, and he would go around to the villages that he had previously terrorized to get food from the people like all the other monks. 
And when he would go to the villages, the people were still afraid of him because he had the same outer form as when he was killing them. So they were still afraid. And they would stone him. They would throw stones at him, many of the villagers. It didn't bother him. It wasn't perturbing. He realized that this was the tail end of his karma. That physically, still, he was being hurt. And yet, his heart was free. His heart, his mind, totally free. Totally empty of suffering. May all beings be free from danger. May all beings live in peace. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.